Welcome to the Mercy Commons podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We trust that the Word of God encourages you and that the Holy Spirit empowers you. Hey Jeff, why don't you join me up here? We uh, have a friend with us this morning. Uh, this is Jeff McBride. He is, uh, he is uh, the CEO of uh, YMCA in uh, Orange County. More importantly, he's a fellow brother and worker and a growing friend. I've known Jeff for about five to six years. And um, uh, as you know, one of the important values of Mercy Commons is to participate in acts of mercy for the common good of our city. And uh, we were having discussions with Jeff about what that looks like to partner with the YMCA. Um, and Jeff asked me a question that is, still has just a profound impact on me. He, he basically he said this, what do you need? And, um, and I don't know that he really understood what he meant by that. <laughs> but, but I come from the school of if, if you, don't, you don't ask, you don't get. Um, and so I said to him, Jeff, what would be amazing is if we could find a way to hire someone uh, that could coordinate mission between the YMCA, um, who Jeff has a deep desire to return to the roots of, um, which is the elevation of Jesus Christ as the reason and source by which we do everything. Um, and wouldn't it be great to actually have a person whose job is, it is to focus on being able to serve our city and to be able to connect the church with the YMCA? Um, and so Steph Christen is our, is our missions coordinator, and that's a direct result um, of Jeff being kingdom-minded um, and wanting to see the name of Jesus lifted up in whatever way that happens. So I'm going to pray for you um, and then uh, release you. Uh, Father, I want to thank you for the power of your word. I want to thank you for the energy of your spirit. And I want to thank you this morning that we don't rely on the copious preparation of Jeff. We rely on the power of your spirit. I want to pray, Father God, that you would give him freedom and joy. I want to pray that you would help us to posture our hearts in a, um, yeah, in a receiving and changing posture, that we would be able to hear the Word of God and hear what the Spirit is saying to the church and bring adjustment. Father, in the name of Jesus, we want to hear from you. Amen. Testing, does that work? I, I am absolutely fired up. To, to be here, um, this, the Spirit of God's here. I mean, I, I have not attended this before, and it is moving and amazing. I, I thank you. I hope that uh, Jeff doesn't put you to, to sleep today, but um, I'm really thrilled to be here. I, uh, this was not part of what I was going to say, but it's really... Is that me? So, um, so I'm, you know, I'm getting older, and the uh, doctor wants me to start doing some more things, and uh, so... Uh, one of us is lifting weights. So my wife, uh, Lori, who's here, we'll, you'll meet her in a little bit, um, talked me into going to Body Pump last Monday. We started. Um, and I used to work out a lot. I ran marathons and I did all that stuff a lot. And uh, when we met, I was in pretty good shape. And so we went to Body Pump last week, and I used to load it up, and I was pretty tough. And uh, I'm in there about 20 minutes in, and I just said, please, dear God. <laughs> Let me finish. And I had 
hardly any weights on. And I, and I finished, he let me finish, and I'd go home and I'd text with some colleagues, and I'm saying, I'm texting because the only muscle I can move <laughs> is my thumb. And that's, that is so true. So it's, it is so nice to be here um, and work on our spiritual muscles, not the physical ones. I, I'm really excited because I have to go back tomorrow. But uh, and, and as she was trying to encourage me, because she was kicking my fanny, because she works out a lot, so I was, um, and that cardio, I'm in pretty good shape, but um, she's, <laughs> I know she was trying to encourage me, but she said, you know, don't you remember you used to be so ripped? <laughs> and, and I was like, what am I now? <laughs> Through the course of the day, I was like 61. <laughs> so it's catching up, but I'm, I'm very excited to be here. Um, can we open with a word of prayer? Father, I need you. Um, I don't want to be here um, speaking from me. I, I need your strength, your guidance, your grace. I ask the Spirit speak and that we all listen. Um, and uh, we just give you all praise and glory for this morning uh, and for every day. In Christ's name, amen. Um, I, was, I was so, again, I was very honored. It's, it, it's a lot for a pastor to entrust somebody with this pulpit, and I take that very seriously. And um, I, I came here, uh, I've been with the wife for 36 years. I came here September 4th of 2007. Um, and actually my first day, uh, suit and tie, I was looking, I was looking the part. And uh, my first ride was the first morning I came up here. I kept, had to come here and, and sign some papers with the local. I should turn this off? Okay. Better? Okay. Thanks. Now I can move around a little too. Um, <laughs> but I, I can't dance like the announcement lady. Yeah, Katie. So, so that. So the first, the first day I, I wrote, or I signed some papers with the local bank uh, for $3 million loan to renovate this building, um, which sounded great. And then when I got in here about a month, month and a half, I discovered we were eight months from bankruptcy. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, uh, I didn't realize that. Um, the board had given me some paperwork, but it didn't really show that. And they, so, and, and, and they... Well, when we get into that, but um, so my first, our calendar year uh, operationally is the fiscal year as well. So our my first four months of 2007 were, my, were our last four months of 2007 fiscally, and we lost 1.1 million dollars, and there was no end in sight to that. So uh, if you remember, in 2008 we had the Great Recession, so it was an interesting time. Did a lot of restructuring, pretty much let everybody go, um, did a lot of stuff, and God just completely blessed us. And we went um, from a, a, a $1.1 million loss to the largest surplus we've ever had in that organization's history. Um, and it was through good stewardship. Uh, we can have, that's another story. But uh, God just blessed our socks off, and um, we had seven, eight, nine, ten years consecutively where our finances were the best they'd ever been in history. And um, it's been an amazing ride. And we're really strong financially, even to this day. Allowed us to go through COVID quite easily. Not fun. Um, but uh, it, was, it was very tough. It was good for the organization in some ways. Excuse me. The other thing I needed to do was work on our culture. And it was a very high control place. It wasn't uh, a place that was um, very empowering to staff, 
it was everything you dream of not wanting it to be. So I, I started to change that. My, my vision was I wanted, after we were financially strong, to be the best place to work in Orange County. Pretty simple concept. Uh, if you think changing your organization financially is hard, it is, I, I'm not exaggerating, it's 100 times harder to change something culturally. From going from controlling to, to people, not empowering them to try to have collaboration, empower people, develop them. And when I say it was hard, when you start to hold people accountable, they, they hit back. I was accused of, well, name it. I was accused of fraud, embezzlement. Uh, one of my favorites was <laughs> um, religious discrimination. Um, age, ageism. I, in fact, uh, long story short, I was accused of everything you can be accused of over time except for sexual harassment, which I'm grateful for for my wife. Um, I was in a 12-month period. I was under investigation uh, internally for about four months. Um, exonerated that. That wasn't enough. So we hired an outside investigator. We spent a half a million dollars. Um, and it was sad because a lot of it was to try to find something, which we will talk about in a little bit, culture, well, the world's culture. Um, and it was very, 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 very difficult. A lot of sleepless nights, a lot of praying. Um, that finished. We were exonerated. A lot of board members had to leave. A lot of staff that had made the accusations. When you find out the lifestyle and the things that they were in trying to hide, it, it made more sense, but it didn't take away the pain. Um, but I remember a, my similar moment. Um, Nick mentions a question I asked him. My, my wife, Lori, asked me a question in a, in a text once about eight, nine months in. And she said, how you feeling? And I had to really think about it because there were times of no sleep and anger and hurt and all that stuff that goes through it. But I knew this. I knew that God had brought me here for a reason. So I thought about a response, and my response was one word, chosen. I knew, I knew, I knew. Um, so I was exonerated, and things started to move ahead. Um, so I look back over my 36 years, and you, we're doing all this stuff. We've done, we did amazing stuff. The Y did some amazing stuff through COVID, and I was very grateful. And, but I look back, and man, there's distractions. I mean, there's so many distractions. I think if, to think if you didn't go through that time, a whole year wasted. Lives, I mean, board members, I mean, people just really hurt. And, and I just thought, there's so many distractions. that I, I heard about a guy made sense to me. Bernie Krause. I don't know if anybody heard of Bernie Krause. Okay, I, I don't know if I can ever pronounce this. I'm going to try. Uh, Bernie Krause was a bioacoustician. He's a, he's a soundscape, soundscape ecologist. He started in 19... I take my glasses off to read. I'm weird. <laughs> in 1968, he founded something called Wild Sanctuary. It's an organization dedicated to the recording and archiving of natural sounds, soundscapes. He records natural sounds, animals, thunderstorms, waves, breaking on the beach, that kind of stuff, leaves blowing in the wind. 
And he was interviewed back in 2007, and he said that fully 30% of his library from 30 years ago have, have become extinct, uh, extinct habitats. The habitats we can't record anymore because there's no longer any natural sound to be heard. What happened to the natural sound, he was asked. Well, he said it was destroyed by noise pollution. And his point is, our world is becoming increasingly noisy. For a person simply to try to record a robin singing without a car or a jackhammer in the background can be a real problem. <coughs> Excuse me. He went on to say, and this is fascinating, when I started in 1968, now listen to this closely, it used to take me 14 to 15 hours of recording to get one hour of usable material, undefiled by background noise. Now, it takes me a year to get the same amount of material. As someone said, Bernie spends his life trampling around the world to the most remote locations of Earth, trying in vain to capture the sounds of silence. If it takes Bernie Krause an entire year to record an hour of silence, what is the chance that you and I have finding undistracted moments to hear God's voice? Does God ever get to speak to you or me? Or is he drowned out? That's what I've been really contemplating through my career, um, and it's becoming more and more clear. But it's not just cars and leaf blowers that distract us from God's voice. And I kept asking, what do we, how do you stay focused? What do we focus on? And that's what my journey with the Lord really has been, especially in my career. As I reflect, I think there's two primary, primary issues I've come to terms with. Can you throw the first slide up? Not, well, the, not the one that says Commercial Commons, but the next one. Do you have that? Oh, you fixed it. Thank you. My wife would be so happy. I, I, make, I make PowerPoint. I make PowerPoint. <laughs> They're horrible, and she fixes it nice. She didn't have a chance. You guys muted it up. Thank you. <laughs> the, the first is I, 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 I must know and see with clarity when it comes to this world we live in, it's the reality of the world we live in. Now, I've heard a little bit about it this morning. Uh, in order to first understand the entirety of Jesus' message, we have to understand the entirety of his message and purpose when he came. Most of us here know the message of Jesus when it comes to a need for a savior. Our identification with Adam and sin, separated from the Lord. He is holy, perfect, and we are under a curse of separation. We are sinners. Sin requires a price. That price is death and separation from God. God's holiness Require a price to be, requires a price to be paid. But his love and grace provides a sacrifice to pay that price. His precious son, Jesus. If you don't have that relationship with God through Jesus, please come see Nick or staff. I'd be happy to talk to you. But there was another aspect to Jesus' coming. We don't talk about or hear about as much. He came to make an announcement. 
can we put the next, actually, yeah, uh, the next one and then the next one? Yeah, thank you. So I, this passage from Luke um, is the first time that Jesus starts into his ministry. He's in his hometown, and he goes to Nazareth, where he was brought up on a Sabbath day. He went to the synagogue, as was his custom. Um, this was an unusual Sabbath. It's the first time. It was for Jesus the first time in verse 16 where he stood up to read. He was chosen to be the reader and the expositor. So he was going to read the scripture and he was exp or explain the meaning of it, exposit it. Um, he'd been there many times. This particular synagogue was his home synagogue, hometown synagogue. They'd seen him grow up. They watched his, they know his family, his brothers and sisters. They knew him. It was a small place. And so he gets to stand up. And this is what's interesting to me is when you stood up, especially in a synagogue, if they were going to introduce a scroll of the Mosaic Law, the Mosaic Law was calendared. So you didn't get to choose the scripture you're going to read. They would give you the scroll. There was a designated scripture for that day. You would have that scripture. They would give it to you. You'd take it. You'd, you'd speak to it or read it, and then you'd exposit it. He was going to read Isaiah from Isaiah 61. There's some speculation that you had a little more flexibility when it came to the prophets. Not the Mosaic Law, but the prophets. So some would say that he could choose the scripture. Some would argue that as like the Mosaic Law, the scripture is handed to you to exposit. There's no proof of anything. I don't believe in coincidence. He was handed the scroll for Isaiah 61, which is fascinating to me. And unrolling it, he found a place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me. To proclaim good news to the poor, he has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and the recovery of sight for the blind and set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he, and then he rolled up the scroll gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. This is huge. It is a mic drop. I don't want to do that. This is a prophetic passage from Isaiah 61, 800 years before. Everybody knew in that synagogue what this was about. This is a promise of their coming Messiah. You didn't have to explain it. They knew exactly what this was. They were waiting for their Messiah to come. Now, unfortunately, they were waiting for a physical Messiah to come to free them from Roman enslavement. They wanted to have their kingdom to be in charge themselves. And they were waiting for someone to come and liberate them that way. He had a whole different plan, which we should all be very grateful for. He came to save them in a much different and better way. 
but they were expecting this political liberation. And by saying what he said, they knew what he was claiming. He was saying, I am God. <sighs> Chuck Colson used to be in the Nixon White House, a phenomenal writer and a believer and brother, writes, the crowd surged forward and they knew what he was saying. The crowd surged forward and dragged Jesus out of the building, shoving him to the brow of the hill on which the synagogue was perched. But when they reached the edge, they discovered that in the confusion, Jesus had slipped away. Can you show the, the picture? Okay, so Lori and I had... Oh, man, it was such a blessing. We had the opportunity to go to Israel uh, three or four years ago, seven, right before COVID. This is the mountain of which they're speaking. Next, next slide. This, you can't see it. That's a car. This thing is sheer. It is sheer. And they were going to throw him off the edge of this. He slipped away. The humble message at the, this is from Chuck Holson again, at the, at the remote Nazareth synagogue was the inaugural dress for Jesus' ministry. Through it, he formally announced his messiahship and the rule of God in this world. And as a result, human history was forever changed. The kingdom of God had come. N.T. Wright says, what Jesus is saying, now that I'm here, God's new world is coming to birth. And once you realize that, you see that these are habits of heart which anticipate that new world here and now. These qualities, pure of heart, mercy, so on, are not, so to speak, things you have to do to earn a reward or a payment, nor are they merely rules of conduct laid down for new converts to follow. They are in themselves the signs of life, the language of life, and the life of new creation, the life of new covenant, the life which Jesus came to bring. That has changed my life forever. Certainly at home, certainly at work, he's announcing heaven's kingdom here and now not when we leave the kingdom of heaven had come we so often think we live on this earth and only after only after we experience the kingdom of heaven we live our lives and navigate this world to the best of our ability and then enter heaven and then you get to experience heaven the message from jesus saying no it starts now Listen to the Lord's Prayer, Matthew 6. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. What, it was like a lightning bolt. God's saying the kingdom of heaven's here. The reality is we live in the kingdom of man. And those two, <laughs> that's, that's some of the cause of some of the stuff that I was going through, right? For man, kingdom of man, fear, insecurity, greed, envy, truth is difficult. 
God uses people to develop programs? No. Thank you. I read the wrong thing. Man uses people to develop programs. God uses programs to develop people. I'm trying to take my organization in a place that is kingdom of heaven driven. Man says, get what you can now. God says, you have everything you need now. Kingdom of heaven, kingdom of man is success, is wealth, fame, power, influence, brand. I, I had a, a leader in our organization, actually a board member, um, who was not ascending to the leadership that they so desired, and they called uh, one of our assessors and asked how they can change their brand. God says, I need you to change your heart. Man says, change your brand. Let's change the outside. We, we, we don't, something that fascinates me, um, we don't just subjectively declare value on something. Our value, value of any kind, is always compared to something else. If I decided that my home is worth 20 million bucks, I just decided, I woke up this morning, my home's 20 million bucks, I'm going to advertise it for 20 million. It doesn't work that way. My home is not worth 20 million bucks. But if anybody wants to pay that, come on, see me afterwards, really, after that. We, our value, value of everything is measured against something. We run comps for a house. Just say, how much is it, well, what, same size, location, how much is the value there? And then you run comps and then we have valuations, right? What does the kingdom of man say in terms of value? Where do we get our value? The kingdom of man says, measure it against other people. Richer, more ethical, taller, thinner, more powerful. I'm a CEO. That's huge. Don't take me seriously. <laughs> I have a $50 million organization. That's a pretty big deal in some circles. And then I meet a CEO of a billion dollar company. I, I, I was a, a part of a $100 million company in Houston and we thought we were big shots. And we, on, for one dinner, sat under the wing of a plane that cost more than our organization, one. Because our, the president, uh, the chairman of our board was the CEO of Continental Airlines, which is now United. God puts in front of us constantly reminders to check ourselves. I, I was fortunate enough to build a facility years ago in Katy, Texas, before I came here. I was the man. I went back two years later. I needed a pass. <laughs> and I praise God that I did. We, um, we live as if we're in heaven now. Imagine all of us standing before the Holy One, the creator of all. 
do you think we're going to be looking at each other to compare our value? loves us that much but he says you're so valuable to me you're worth my son we miss this so often we put so much energy in trying to create heaven on earth God is calling us to live for the actual heaven I, I think of the children of Israel um 400 years in, in captivity in Egypt. 400 years. And God gets them out. Taking them to Canaan, the promised land, Israel. Do you think it was hard for him to get the children of Israel out of Egypt? Part the Red Sea. Water into blood. Locusts, frogs. Do you think that was hard? You know it was hard? Getting Egypt out of his people wasn't getting his people out of Egypt it's getting Egypt out of his people 40 years are in the wilderness because of their hearts 40 years you know how long the journey would take if we went straight 11 days 11 days we turn into 40 years because he cares about us so much He'll take 40 years. Jesus is here is saying, folks, we are measured against the kingdom of heaven, holiness, perfection. We fall short, but we're given God's gift through Jesus Christ. So we are already declared holy. It's here now. Live like it. We must see life through God's lens. He calls us to live now as if we're in heaven. This world, and I, I get it, there's so much going on. We, we prayed beforehand, and uh, um, it, Stephanie was just, we, people are hurting. This world is so difficult, and so we find, we're trying to find the good in it, and I get it. We, we look for safe spaces. The world says, hey, get a safe space. I get that. What they don't understand is, Jesus is a safe space. God is, the, is a potter. We're the clay. He's going to mold us and he's going to put us through, allow us to go through a whole lot of stuff. But we're chosen and we're going to be okay. Growth comes from those trials. I, I don't want to go through what I went through before and I don't want to go through, does anybody want to go through COVID again? Anybody, anybody interested? I got one hand going, yeah, no. <laughs> But man, did we learn from it. I pray we, we grew from it. He is our space, safe space to grow. I, I have resented many things in my career. Like, like everyone, I've had huge peaks and valleys. I've resisted the valleys. I've often fought them. When I look back, I realize more and more is that's when he was molding me. That's when he was teaching me. And, and that's when I realized he was my safe space and I needed to sit in him. I, I struggled with this so long in my career. Oh, with, uh, things were unfair. I was angry. Constantly fighting the world's culture. 
I saw selfish decisions affecting others. I didn't understand the reality of those two worlds that were all with each other. I, I was in Houston um, and miserable. Very, I, all, my, all my deliverables were off the charts, I was, but I was miserable. And the one thing that I was always really proud of is I saw the dysfunction of the world. And the cool thing about me is I was always pointed out and I'd always tell them why they were wrong. I was really good at it. As a friend of mine said, I was great at turning over the money table. I'm great at that. Great. I felt pretty good about it. But I was miserable. And I was in my backyard of our house one day. Did not have a glass of wine or a beer or anything else. But I was miserable, crying. Didn't know what to do. Clearer than I see you, right in front of me, this huge dance floor appeared. Six-foot parquet dance floor, squares. Faded off into nothing, 10-foot wall in the back, 10-foot wall down here. All down the right side was a band. Our CEO was the conductor. Super clear. Great big dysfunctional dance. The YMCA dance. Not the song. Please don't say it. <laughs> and I'm, I just, start, I just, I hated it. I hated them, and I hated it. Suddenly, at the back of that wall, there was no ceiling. The Lord appeared. Just saw, saw his arms. Saw his head. And I said, God, I'm so tired of fighting these people. And his lips never moved. But as clear as my voice, he said, that's your dance step. What I thought I was great at was fighting them. What he was telling me is I'm just as messed up as they are. And in tears, I said, what do I do? And he said, lips never moved. Get off the dance floor. Stop. Don't be a party to it. Sit at my feet. Love me. But don't fight everything. I was using the world's methods. And in essence... That's the kingdom of man using the kingdom of man's methods to stop the kingdom of man. I was great in my marriage at that. My wife needed so much fixing. Thank God I was there. I knew all the problems. I could see what she was doing. I would often diagnose her. <laughs> I could solve it all. The world system. If she would just do these things, she would be happier. Certainly I would be happier. <laughs> and then I realized the kingdom of heaven. That's not my job. (laughs) 
so I started working on me. Forgiveness, love, acceptance, dealing with my stuff, looking in the mirror, counseling. You know what's amazing when you stop telling somebody what they should be doing and how to fix their life and start working on your own? Your marriage goes through the roof. My best friend put up with me through all that. Thank you. Came to a man says, fix it, fix it, fix it. God says, I'll help fix you. By the way, the other piece, this is for free. Her stuff that might not be the healthiest for me has nothing to do with me. It's not for me to fix. It's for me to love her, support her, not fix her. We have the best time laughing at our stuff. And in fact, it makes us better, and I, I'm so grateful. Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than men. We all have jobs. We all have responsibilities. I have one. Some people would say it's a, it's a dream job. They pay me to go. It's, it's, it's a job that I, I'm so blessed to have. But the job doesn't bring fulfillment like the Lord does. It has fulfilling moments. I get to develop people and do things. I also get sued every day, every day of the week. Um, <laughs> that's just life. We have, th have 1,500 employees. You're going you're gonna to have stuff. I mean, you're going to have things twice this week. It's just that's the way it is. But the job doesn't, doesn't define me. And the day the job defines me is the day that I'm no longer useful for the Lord in this job. What's, what's a higher calling? CEO of a not-for-profit, the son of the living God. Live here. Live here. Satan wants us to feel beaten down, folks. He wants us to feel beaten down. I was with some serious leaders in our community this week uh, in their 40s and 50s and 60s. Their jobs are extremely successful. But this is how I, and I know them really well. And I said this, and they totally agreed. So your job is 60, 70, 80 hours a week, producing as much money for your company as you can. And when you get to 57 in this company and 62 in this company, they tell you to go because you're making too much money. And they looked at me and said, yeah. How do you think that affects you after 30 years? And that's the world we're living in. Do we need a safe space? You bet we need a safe space. But the world can't give it. Thank God the Lord is there to say, I'm your safe space. Come. Come and drink of me. We'll bring you peace. So my job is, is, is my job, and I'm so appreciative. But you know the two biggest highlights I've had this month, this week, this month? Stephanie sends, we have this communication thing called workplace. It's a social media thing. I don't know how to do social media. I don't. I can, I can click on something when I see something, and this group, <laughs> well, that's it. 
We have a department for that. But this, this church went out and renovated and, and fixed one of our child care centers, people that have nothing. And I looked at that. That's, that's, that was awesome. And I'm thinking, that should move my staff. My staff, the YMCA is not a Christian organization, but how do we touch them and show them the kingdom of heaven? That was a special moment from Stephanie. And I thank you for that. And I cried in my office. Yesterday, I'm, I texted before I left. My wife would get mad at me. Before I drove, I had to speak at something. I texted my, my assistant. My assistant is an amazing young lady. Husband got glioblastoma a year and a half ago, right when COVID started. He died uh, last August. It was a journey. It was a journey. Um, Two days ago, and she's semi-deaf in one ear, two days ago, she got tinnitus. I don't know if I know what tinnitus is. The only reason I know what tinnitus is, I was just on a trip with a friend of mine whose best friend got tinnitus. He's in his 70s from COVID, didn't leave. After eight months, he shot himself. Because it was, the ringing was so loud, it was debilitating, it drove him insane. So she tells me that two days ago. Where's my mind go? She's already had enough, but I just went in my office and I said, Lord, please, please. I went out, laid my hands on her head. He woke me up at 2 in the morning and praying. I getting ready to leave yesterday to the thing, and I texted her before I left. And she texted me in the car, and she's, and she's not a believer. And she texted me in the car and said, it's going away. That's my job. And I cried in the car. That's my job. That's, that's where it's at. Nick asked me to speak about vocation. I struggled with that because our vocation, I mean, it, God has given us so many opportunities. But I'm thinking of Paul who had more impact in this world than anybody save our Lord. He made tents to eat. But he changed, those, he changed the world, changed me. The kingdom of heaven versus the kingdom of man. We have jobs. It's awesome. But why? I pray we never forget the purpose of the job is to glorify him and those around us, to bless them. Whatever you do, do your work heartily. As for the Lord rather than for men. Can we pray? Father, there might be people hurting here. I'm sure there are. This life is so hard. And we walk with you. And we thrive with you. Because we have hope. We have hope for our futures. But we have hope for our present too. We understand and we thank you so much. I just pray that we come to you, everybody here is on their knees today and, says, and just says thank you and searches for you, your grace and your love. You're everything. We thank you for this time and we lift you up through your son. Amen. Jeff, thank you for 
serving us so well with vulnerability and access to you. Before we enter just a a time of worship, um, I just want us to meditate and contemplate on two things that Jeff uh, brought out for us. I feel like I feel like you dropped a bunch of spiritual hand grenades. Just there's so so much, Um, but uh, I think one of the things that I that Jeff didn't necessarily preach directly into, but just was the attitude with which he preached was just one of deep humility. Um, So that's one thing I want us to think about in the context of the roles that we play. Many of us have multiple jobs, but in the context of the role that we play, are we modeling the humility of Jesus um, in those contexts? Secondly, I really do believe that there are people that are asking for guidance in their careers. And uh, that story that Jeff told is God is able and wants to give you guidance. He wants to. Because first and foremost, you're a son and a daughter of the living God. And he knows the situation better than anybody. And so outside of a life coach, career coach, counselor, have we asked him, what do I do here? And then lastly for us, with a sense of both anticipation and patience. God, am I modeling the humility that you've called me to model because you modeled it? God, there's a situation in my life, in my career specifically, that I need guidance in. And am I in a place where I'm expecting you to do great things through my career and yet I'm, I'm patiently waiting. Does that make sense? Let's take 30 seconds just to ask the Spirit of God. And it may be something else that Jeff said, but the point of hearing the Word of God, the point of having someone preach to us is that we are saying, Spirit, what are you saying to me? So we're going to take 30 seconds before Patrick leads us on. very aware that even these words are completely counter to the culture of this world just even admitting that we need help we are unashamedly dependent on you we need you God we need you in our work lives we need you in our relational lives we need you because everything flows from you Many of us find ourselves in difficult circumstances. Um, But there was none more difficult circumstance where Jesus was in the garden saying to the Father, may this cup pass from me, however not my will, but yours be done. He didn't pretend like it was easy. He needed his Father's assurance. And so as we take what represents his broken body and as we take what represents his shed blood what we're saying is the refrain of that song I needed you for salvation and you granted me that salvation you've given me sonship and daughtership 
And I also need you for every aspect of my life that includes my work life. Let's take and eat and drink. sing one more song in response but we're going to have a couple people ready to pray to my left your right I want to I want to pray for two groups of people one for whom work is particularly difficult you're you're in a situation in which you're saying God I need help um, I, I, I really do believe that God is able to break through it may not be in the way that you want but I know that God is able to do that and then secondly, as I said, I think there are people here that are in points of decision when it comes to career. I would love to pray for you. Sean, myself, Jeff, a couple of other trusted people are going to be there to pray. The rest of us are going to continue to worship. Thank you for listening to the Mercy Commons podcast. If you enjoyed today's content, please rate us and hit subscribe. And if you'd like to learn more about us, visit our website at mercycommons.church.